and we are live. Welcome to Koji Podcast Episode 6. I'm joined by my brother Joshua once again. Um, we're going to be going through the topic, the struggle against sin. Uh, this is the second talk of tw- 10 or 12 talks that I'm going to be giving a series. And we're going to go through each uh, paragraph together, explaining to our best of our to the best of our ability. I haven't gone through it with it uh, with Joshua, so we're just gonna. This is the first time he's gonna be hearing these things, so he's gonna be asking me questions. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Struggle against sin. Romans chapter 7 verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at my hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my members. What he's trying to, what St. Paul, so the St. Paul was saying, he's trying to tell us that Evil is always going to be there. That sin is always going to be there. to, And the devil is always going to be there to tempt us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're always going to be present. So, we're just going to always have to be struggling. We're going to be struggling with sin throughout our whole lives. And in this podcast, we're going to be learning how to, you know, overcome sin. Or struggle against, against sin. Okay. Let's go on to the next paragraph. We have seen in the previous conference, so if you watch the next, the last episode, that's the previous uh, podcast, that holiness is the divine life of God present in our souls. It is the pure gift of God that we do not earn. And for that reason, it is called sanctifying grace, a term coming from the Latin sanctificare, meaning to, co- to make holy, and gratia, meaning a favor, something freely given. It is given to us by the means of the sacraments, which Christ instituted for this purpose. Therefore, the Christian life must be built on the foundation of the sacraments. We also saw that the life of grace is meant to grow and mature in us. This increase takes place by the frequent reception of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. By receiving Holy Communion, we receive Christ himself, who fills us with always greater gifts of grace. Any questions? Okay, so if you see, if you look closely right here, it says that, okay, the pure gift of God that we do not earn. And so he says that, like, it's something that God gives to us, like a gift from him to us, that uh, sanctifying grace. So yeah, everything we we have, we you know, we owe to God. You know, it's it's freely given to us. We don't deserve any of this. And, you know, all this grace that God gives us. When there's people that ask, like, why? I mean, does God always answer our prayers? Or how come God doesn't answer my prayers or anything like that? Or why doesn't he listen to my prayers? And the thing is that God always listens to our prayers. But but first of all, we got to think about this. Look, we don't even deserve, you know, anything from him. He's given us everything. We don't deserve anything from God. Anything that's given to us, first we've got to understand that. You know, be humble. Be humble about, you know, asking God for things. It all comes from Him, and we don't deserve any of it. We didn't earn it in any way, shape, or form. So God is is being very merciful to us. So just, you know, have that in mind. So the way that God, like I explained in the last podcast, how God gives us grace is through the sacraments. So if we want to increase uh, our level of grace or whatever, we want to, you know, be closer to God, then we had to increase the amount of sacraments we take and, you know, how often we take them. Like it says right here, this increase takes place by the frequent reception of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. So the Eucharist will nurture uh, that grace and fills us, fill us with greater grace. Oh, it would always fill us with greater grace, you know, the more and more times uh, we take it more devoutly. And, and we're off to the next paragraph. 
Wait, also, the whole Eucharist, when, whenever you receive it, if not a mortal sin, all your venial sins are taken away. But yeah, of course, if you're in mortal sin, never take Holy Communion, okay? That's that's one of the greatest sins you could ever commit. Because, yeah, because I heard somewhere that that if you, like, okay, I think it was, like, my teacher or something who said, if you think of... Wait, think teacher and... I'm sorry, not teacher. But just in, in catechism class, Catechism right? class, yes. Oh, just a program at church? Yeah. And then, anyways, he said that if you think of any sin, any sacrilegious sin, like desecrating the altar or the Holy Eucharist or anything, that if you receive Jesus in mortal sin, that is even worse than anything. If you throw Jesus on the floor, receiving him in mortal sin is even worse than that. Mm-hmm. So, mortal sin, receiving Jesus in mortal sin is, like, really, really bad. Well, yeah, it's like, I think St. Paul says... I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Paraphrase. Whoever... Takes in Jesus, I guess, with mortal sin, with grave sin in their heart, then they drink their own condemnation, something like that. I, yeah, um, I think it was like poison with life or whatever. They drink their condemn condemnation. So we're since it's a mortal sin, you know, mortal sin. If we die in mortal sin, we go to enter heaven. So where's the other place other than heaven? People, hell. So that's why I'm saying we're condemning ourselves. We drink our own condemnation. Yeah. Okay. Next paragraph. Okay, we also grow in grace as a consequence of our good works. All the good we do, if done in sanctifying grace and for the love of God, receives a, a reward and increase in God's divine life in us. And thus in, we read in the Gospels, Matthew twenty, chapter 25 or Luke 19, the parable of the talents. A king, going on a journey, leaves money with his servants. Ten gold pieces to one five to another, and one to the last. When he returns, he finds the first and second have doubled their money by investing it with the money lenders, while the last did nothing with his coin. To the first two servants, the king gives a reward, while the last one is punished for his uselessness. In the same way, grace is given to us by God to be increased by our good works, not to be ignored. Therefore, Christians must exert themselves in doing the good that will work to their salvation. As St. Paul says, Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same again from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 8. So, when it talks about, like it says here, like about the talents that the king gives to the three servants, we're talking about grace here. You know, he's trying to uh, talk about grace. That God gives everybody grace. Some less some more you know however many but as much grace god wants to give us we have to use it and multiply it yeah and and those who who do not use their grace even though they they don't think they're that bad or you know they didn't spread the word of god they didn't evangelize with the graces that they have and evangelizing doesn't mean to do it doesn't always mean to do a podcast or to just, you know, speak, do a talk, or in a, in a retreat, you know, do a talk in a retreat, or a parish, or... Just evangelize your kids, man. Like... Yeah, like, um... Th- that, that's yeah. the... Especially if you're a parent, like I said in the in the Vocations podcast, that's one of the chief duties of parents. You have to evangelize your, your kid, give a good example. If we don't, then we're useless. We've done nothing for God. We've been... We just hit our... You know, our talents in the sand, like that last servant. And we fell God. So we got to use what God gives us. we got to use our talents, our the graces that He gives us. Don't let it go to waste. Okay, next chapter. Note. In order to desire and carry out those actions that lead to an increase in sanctifying grace, we must be moved by God's assistance, which we call actual grace. In reality, then, God moves us freely to do good and at the same time rewards us for the good we do under inspiration of actual grace. St. Augustine writes, What then is the merit of man before grace by which merit he should receive grace? Since grace only comes, only makes every good merit of ours and when God crowns our merits, he crowns nothing else but his own gifts. Okay. Well, that's, that's super true. Yeah. Because like, the, the only way that we're ever going to, you know, do good works or or evangelize or use our graces 
is by God giving us the grace to do those things. And not only that, but he gives us more. He rewards us by giving us more graces. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Like, he's just rewarding himself almost, but like, you know, rewarding. Like, it's like we did nothing. Well, yeah, but like, it's just crazy how, you know, we think it's so hard. And, you know, because since we have our fallen human nature, it is hard for us. But like, in reality, just God doing everything. You know? And, you know, that's just really crazy. It's crazy. Okay. Next paragraph. Sin. The enemy of our soul. At the same time, grace can also diminish or even be extinguished in us by the presence of sin. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1472 teaches, Grave sin deprives us of communion with God and therefore makes us incapable of eternal life the privation of which is called the eternal punishment of sin. Therefore, if we compare the life of grace to the natural life of a living organism, sin is like a disease, which blights the work of grace in us, and if allowed to grow unchecked, will kill the life of grace completely. Sin is therefore the greatest tragedy that can happen to us, since it has the power to deprive us of God and eternal life. Okay, the best way to look at this paragraph is to think of this. Think of sin as a weed in your in your good garden. Garden is your soul. The the weed is there, but it's not that big, so you don't pull it out. You don't think much of it. Oh, it's just a little weed, right? But then as time continues, well, as ven- yeah, venial sins continue, you can continue committing sins. It keeps on going, going until you fall into mortal sin. It which it go it goes everywhere, which all completely over the garden. chokes out all your the weeds choke out all your plants. It leaves nothing. It's dead. It's going to be a lot of pulling. Well, anyways, <clears throat> and it says here that if we compare the life of grace to the natural life of a living organism, sin is like a disease which blights the work of grace in us. And if allowed to grow unchecked, will kill the life of grace completely. Well, this disease in the soul is much worse than any coronavirus or any disease oh, yeah. out there. So what the heck are we thinking of just leaving the churches and not going to confession and mass? Like, what the heck? That's crazy. No. We have to go to the churches even more nowadays. Things are going crazy out here. You know, you know, you know, with the uh, Biden supposedly winning the election and, uh, you know, all the, with all this election fraud and people saying that there's no fraud and, you know, it's all crazy. We need to get deeper in our spiritual life. You know, because sin is much worse than, you know, the coronavirus. Mm. So then why did we why did we close the churches? If sin is much worse, it's a disease to our souls. I mean, that's just crazy. And the coronavirus isn't even that big of a deal. I got corona just a couple weeks ago. All, all our family did it. I mean, to I mean, so some people, I mean, obviously to older people, some people would... Sick, with different sicknesses that they yeah. already have, it will, you know, it will be bad for them. But for ninety nine point nine nine nine, I don't know what the heck. Healthy, more than ninety nine percent will survive. Yeah, because so, okay, but cause... with sin, sin could get anybody into hell. Anybody. So even if you're young, old, um, because woman, man, whatever. Because even saints could allow sin to get into their souls, but they don't. Yeah, anybody can can be led to sin and to hell. Anybody. So it's much worse. Because hell is eternal. And something it's that eternal. goes on forever. It's not something that lasts a couple of days or weeks or months or even a year. It lasts not even a millennium. A millennium. And way more than that. Yeah, wearing a mask is going to save us from hell. <laughs> Anyways. Next paragraph. Wait, wait, hold on. If YouTube censors us just because of this... That'll just prove we're right. Probably we're too small for them <laughs> to notice us. <laughs> Look, we're the hey, we're to, the we're the to, flower going growing in their garden. Yeah, remember to like this video and share, please, if you're enjoying this video. Okay, next paragraph. What is sin? The Catechism, paragraph eighteen forty nine, teaches: Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is failure in genuine love for God and neighbor. Caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injuries human solidarity. 
has defined us as an utterance or deed or a desire contrary to the eternal law. Okay. Why is sin against, uh, an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience? Because why is it a sin against reason? Because if we sin, we're offending God who created us and we'll be damned to hell forever. Because that makes no sense. So why it'll even be worth it? Like, yeah. like, cause, cause I've heard somewhere that all sin is madness, is madness, madness. So if and like the when the angels uh revolted against God, that was the greatest madness of all. Cause they were in heaven already. They didn't. Even- hey, see, and that's against reason. Like, the devil, he's you know he's smart. He's not dumb. He knew that he was gonna lose. Yeah, he's gonna lose. He knew he everything. Knows. He knows. He knows that he's going to suffer, lose, and yet he went against reason, and he did it. And that's what, you know, pride does. It, it blinds you. It goes against reason and truth. Uh, I mean, uh, right conscience, you know that, that sin is not right. It's wrong. Every time you commit a sin, you know that it's wrong. You know, Just in your mind, you, you feel bad for doing something. You feel bad when you go steal or if you kill someone, you you I mean you, if you're an old human being, you'll feel bad, like for doing those things. You know if, when it's a sin, and your conscience is bugging you. You know it bugs you. Anyways, <clears throat> next chat, next uh, paragraph. Sin was not part of the original plan of God. God created man with a perfect intellect, will, and will, by which to easily distinguish. And choose what is good and reject anything that might offend God and harm man's soul. But when man fell, having been deceived by the devil to disobey God, man lost his perfection of his intellect and will. Now our condition is much different. We too easily mistake evil for good, and we too easily choose what is easy and pleasant over what God wills for us. We call this state of affairs man's fallen nature, and the confused desires that proceed from it disordered passions. So like it says right here, um, well, fallen nature is is when Adam and Eve they were convinced by the devil to disobey God, and since they did that, they're the ancestors of all humans, you know, ever. You know, they're the the first, you know, the parents. So, and all their sons and all their children and descendants, all the way down to us, have the fallen human nature. So through that fallen human nature comes death, sin, and weak wills. Yeah. Cause okay, cause a proof of this was that after they ate the fruit and then God came looking for them, um, Adam blamed it on Eve, and then Eve blamed it on Satan, and then Satan had no one else to blame. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> it was. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, so, well, yeah, um, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, uh, we would be, we wouldn't die. We'd just be tested and then go to heaven with him. We mistake evil for goodness because it feels good to the human body. It feels good. It looks good. Smells good, maybe, (laughs) you know? Like pizza. Yeah, like, it just, it's appealing to us. So we mistake it for a good when it's not. Uh, because it's easier, faster, feels good. That's why. And portable. <laughs> Anyways, next chapter. I mean, next paragraph. <laughs> the spiritual struggle. We see then that while the spiritual life is in many ways similar to the life of a physical organism, in one major respect they are quite different. For this f- process of physical life unfolds spontaneously without any effort on our part. But the birth, growth, and fruitfulness of the spiritual life all depend on our free cooperation with God's grace. We make no progress in the spiritual life unless we choose to. Likewise, the loss of grace, which is spiritual death, is a result of our free choice to sin. Okay, the spiritual life, unlike the life of the body, requires that we consciously work at its growth while resisting the attack of sin. Hence, the spiritual life is a twofold reality. On the one hand... God's gi- God gives us the gift of His divine life called grace. Uh, of His divine life, which we call grace. On the other, on the other hand, we are expected to cooperate 
through our own efforts to make that grace multiply and bear fruit. Okay. So he makes the he makes the distinction between a physical, you know, the physical life and the spiritual life because to start our spiritual life depends on us. It doesn't depend. It doesn't depend on because when you're conceived, born is not through any choice of ours, but the spiritual life is. Um, that just. <clears throat> We just have to cooperate with God's grace. We have to put our part in it. You know? That's what he's saying right here. So the only way to grow and to have fruit is by co our cooperation. It's key word here. Hence, the spiritual life from the time of man's for first fall from grace has been described, described in the terms of a struggle. Already, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is couching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. <clears throat> the lifelong effort at cooperation with grace to do good and avoid evil is the essence of the Christian spiritual life. Those who have made any effort, a serious effort to undertake it find out very quickly that it is not easy. It requires of us the determination to de deny ourselves the disordered desires of our fallen nature and to force ourselves against the tendencies of the same disordered nature to do the works that are pleasing to God. We will now look more closely at the spiritual struggle in order to learn how to make progress in it. Okay, I know it's a little off topic, but it's just so funny. It's just so funny to me how he says couching at the door. He's <laughs> like on a couch right at your door. Anyways, it just means that, like, it's waiting for you, you know? Sin is always, you know, ready to keep you in. But saying right here that God says to Cain, you must master, you must tame, you know, your, your, um, your distorted passions. Tame, you have to control yourself. You have to be able to control yourself to be able to, to avoid sin. So it says right here, not only do we have to deny ourselves, but we also have to choose the good. Not only do we have to deny, deny sin, I not deny ourselves, sorry, we have to deny ourselves, but not only do, do we have to deny sin, but we also have got to do good works. We got to do the good, you know, that God wants us to do. So, we're going to learn exactly how to do that here. <clears throat> Temptation. To begin our discussion, it is fundamental that we understand that what makes a thought or an action sinful is that it is something freely and consciously chosen by us in opposition to God's law. What a person who suffers from mental ailments may have moments when he does or says things he cannot control. No matter how badly he may behave, his actions committed at those times are not sinful because he does not freely will them. Likewise, a Catholic who has never, has never been taught anything about his faith may genuinely not be aware that missing the Mass on Sundays is a grave sin. He fails to go to church from time to time, but otherwise tries to, tries to live accordingly to what he knows of God's law. This person is not guilty of the sin of missing Mass because he truly did not know he was doing wrong, even though his actions were objectively wrong. Okay, because this is only if you, like, just really don't know, like, if you didn't know his thing. Like, for example, if... if well, yeah, like, like if a, a guy who doesn't go to church... Um, but he didn't know he had to. He didn't know he even had to. Like, he goes from time to time, but he didn't know it was an obligation. To go every week, every Sunday. But also says, like, for example, uh, um, he gives the example of a, of a person who is mentally ill. If they do things that they didn't... I mean, there are things that people who are mentally ill, um, they do things that they do not um, actually will them. You know, it just happens because they're sick yeah. in the mind. So this, he gives the same example for Catholics who do not know their catechism, which is still not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You, you, you've got to know our catechism, but it was through no fault of his, you know? Yeah. So even though <clears throat> it's true that people who have mental illness, illnesses that do not will something, you know, they do something, but they don't will it, even though that's not a sin, don't mistake it because I, I know some people... That they say, oh, I had this mental illness. That's why. I mean, or at least I think I had this mental illness. This is why I'm doing this. 
No. But here's the thing. You know what's bad anyways. You know what's bad. Why are you doing it? And a lot of people, they just they just say this like, they don't even know if they have it. They just self-diagnose themselves and they say, yeah, I have this mental illness. But they don't. that's because they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. That's what it is. Because they need an excuse to not they, do any of this stuff. <clears throat> yeah, they, they don't want to take responsibility. They just want to say, oh, it's it's that mental illness that I have. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> you know? No, no problem. Right no. there. And you be for me. Whoever wa- listens to this is going to know. I mean, whoever, you know, they're going to know. Um, you know, because I, I know some people. And they're going to know who I'm talking about. Okay? So, don't get mad at me. If you hear this, please. But it's the truth. They comment on you us. can't be you can't be making excuses for your sins because that's the that's one of the things we're gonna look at in here is that we need to accept. We need to accept that we sinned. We did a wrong to God. We gotta take responsibility for our actions. Nobody else. I mean, we did them. We knew it was wrong. Um, yeah, people just. Use a mental illness or... Even though they don't even know they have it. They just say it because... They're doing things that... I mean, they just do bad things and they they don't want to take responsibility for it. Obviously, there's people, I just said... They have mental illnesses and... You know, they don't control... But they don't even know... You know, that that it's bad or they're doing it. Or that they're even doing it. So, in other words... Take responsibility for your sins... It's no one else's fault. It's your fault. So, don't don't make silly excuses, okay? Just take take responsibility. That's the first step into overcoming sin. Because a lot of these things that you're feeling that you, has a similar to to other illnesses is actually because of of the way you're living your life. That's one. Two, you're anxious. Or three, you're depressed. Th- those three things. Can be the the thing that's happening, and I don't mean like clinically depressed, where you're just not wrong. I mean you're just depressed for anything. I'm just talking about where you're depressed because of a certain thing, <clears throat> you know, and just stress, stress, anxiety, sin, and depression can can cause these things. In fact, sin can cause depression. Sin can cause anxiety. You know, it's all it all comes from sin. Um, <clears throat> so we gotta. We got a man up. We got a man up here. You know, lift those heavy weights, punch the bags hard as you can. A sin. You know, with the power, with the grace of God. Okay, we're also, gonna go. Okay. Next paragraph. Also, for those of you who are depressed, don't stay. Don't stay in your bed or your basement, and literally just just what? lay down, pitying yourself. About everything wrong going on with your life. <clears throat> yeah, because here's the thing: the one of the roots of depression and anxiety is pride. And and here's the thing: you might be saying to yourself, if you know you have these things, no, how could you say that? That's so, that's so, um, uh, what's it called? That's so insensitive of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, it's not. It's the truth. The truth was at you free, brother. Okay? It's the truth. You're thinking about yourself. You're just constantly thinking about yourself. That's what it is. Oh, I feel this way. I feel that way. I feel this way. Okay? And I'm not denying the fact that there's actual mental illnesses that make you feel that way. Okay? I'm just saying, a lot of people that I know personally, they t- they, they act this way. They don't really have, like, a, you know, a mental illness of, the, of any of this, for, of this sort. Okay. And thoughts or desires then are although they may be disordered in themselves are not imputed to us personally as sins unless we knowingly and freely consent to them as evil. Therefore sin since our free will is free, sin can only affect us by presenting itself to us in a way that attracts us freely. Sin offers us some pleasure or reward that in the weakness of our fallen nature we allow ourselves to desire more than doing what we know to be the right thing. Hence, sin is a process that begins with our thoughts. And if we desire to make progress against sin, we have to become familiar with the psychology of temptation. Catholic tradition, following St. Augustine, points out 
three stages of temptation. Suggestion, pleasure, and consent. Suggestion. In this stage, a thought or an image is presented to our imagination or our mind, our mind, which our intellect recognizes to be disordered. At this point, there is no sin because we, even though the thought may be hard to eliminate from our minds, still we have not consented to the thought. Okay, so in this stage, it just came to us. Okay? Cause wait, wait, so, wait. When it comes to us, the sin, the, the image, the impure image, or any other, you know, sin, um, <clears throat> it comes into our minds. So, um, once we figure it out, it's disordered, we still haven't committed sin yet. Okay? Even if it's hard to, to, to take out of our mind. Then comes the next stage, right after we've discerned whether it's disordered or not. Which, you know, if it's an pure image, we can obviously discern whether it's bad or not very fast. Uh, of course, you will get images if you look at photos. But it, they can also just come out of nowhere. You can literally just be having a good day in the park, staring at the clouds or whatever. Or walking your dog. And it'll come out just out of nowhere. Oh yeah, because God, I mean, the, the devil's constantly working. And our own body is working against the, the our soul. You know, it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Saint Paul says. So we gotta, we gotta know that, like I said in the in the first, the first paragraph that I read, sin is always present. It's always you know it's gonna be. I mean, it, it's always gonna be present in our lives. That's what I mean Think. to say. Okay, second stage, pleasure. Lower body bodily nature is attracted to the thought or image and re reacts with pleasure. This pleasure happens spontaneously. And though it may be a, even a strong sensation, such feelings are not in themselves evidence that we had consented to the thought. In fact, such feelings will often occur against our will. Thus, St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For though these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Yet, even if we have not consented to them, strong feelings of attraction to a sinful to a sinful suggestion are obviously dangerous. So, a lot of times, as soon as we get a thought, we feel we're already experiencing pleasure. We, but we haven't consented to it yet. It's when we consent that you know the sin starts. So we're gonna see in the next paragraph how that is. So in this stage, either rejection or consent. At this point, the will must either reject the disordered idea or accept it. If, it. if it refuses to accept the pleasure offered by the thought and rejects it, the will has won the struggle and has performed an, an action that is worthy of reward in God's sight. <laughs> I keep on saying things weird. <clears throat> if the will ex accepts the pleasure offered by the disordered, disordered idea and enjoys it, it has begun to consent to, to it. And now... And we now enter into the area of sin. So <laughs> it feels like a, the instructions for like a card game or something. <laughs> so at this point, if we reject it, there's no sin. If we consent to it, then we sin. But now we're going to look into the stages of how serious the sin becomes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah. So it says if we reject it, it's something wor you know worthy just... of reward, reward, which God is going to reward us for for. Rejecting this be just because of the fact that we can say no. So now we're going to go into the next one. Cause it is often difficult to know whether we have consented to a sinful thought or to what extent. Consent can be imperfect. When, for an instance, we hesitate to reject a temptation either out of negligence or because, as so often happens, we want to briefly taste a sinful pleasure. Often we resist, but only half-heartedly. Nevertheless, since in the end we do resist the temptation, our consent was not complete. Imperfect consent modifies the guilt of our sin. Okay. Really sinful action, which would normally be a moral sin if committed with full consent, okay, may only be a venial sin if committed with imperfect consent. Okay, so like, it's only, it's, okay, so what he, what he means by consent is like, just go for it. Like you just give in entire. You know, like I said, to make a mortal sin, you need to know it's bad. You know it's bad, and you do it anyways. Give consent to doing it. So, 
in this uh, thing, it's a mortal sin if you go if you if you're like I don't care if it's a sin I'm doing this you know I'm gonna think this bad thing or whatever. But when you're like sort of uh, you're hesitating and then after a little while you're like no, but you already sort of consented a little bit into the pleasure, then it's only a venial sin. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you're like I don't care I'm going full on you know. If you then, literally jump into ball pit. Yeah, ball pit. <laughs> Yes, like I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, so, so there, it, it modifies the sin, you know, with in in an imperfect rejection or imperfect consent, consent, because you're like, uh, you know, I really want to do this, but I know it's bad. So then you like, you know, you go go into it and then you're like, ah, uh, no, no, and then you get out, but you still consented to a little bit of the pleasure. So, in that sense, it's only a venial sin, okay. Full consent, mortal sin. Imperfect consent, venial sin. So, <clears throat> continuing. On the other hand, we can know that our consent was full if we allowed, if we have allowed our will to freely enjoy the pleasure that comes from dwelling on the temptation. We have committed a sin of thought. If, from enjoyment of the pleasure, we pass to desire for the temptation, we add more guilt to the sin. Finally, if we then move... To act on our sinful desires, we commit a sin of action. It should be obvious now that the struggle against sin is really a struggle to resist temptation. Because once we give in to temptation, even if it only in thought, we have already begun to sin. And so we must strike sin at its root. Let us lay a plan of action that will prepare us to defend ourselves before, during, and after the attacks of temptation. Okay. Go to the... Yeah, no, just... We have three plan, you know, three ways to defend ourselves. So what we gotta do is strike sin at its root, which is temptation. The thought, you know, struggling with temptation. You have to try to prevent it before it even happens. Before it even happens. Okay, number one. Step number one. Like Step number one. Avoiding temptation. A good commander does not allow the enemy to catch him unprepared for battle. He anticipates the attack and does not fall asleep on duty. As our Lord told the apostles, watch and pray that so you may not be tempted. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26 verses 20 verse 21. We will prepare for the temptation by vigilance and prayer. By vigilance, vigilance or watching, we mean always being alert to the danger of temptation so that we will not be taken by surprise. Years of struggling with stubborn habits will teach us that that we cannot trust our own strength. If we have truly learned the lesson of our own weaknesses, that we will do all, then we will do all we can to avoid the occasion of sin. That is, all those friendships, places, or pastimes <clears throat> that we know are likely to tempt us to fall. Frequently, even deeply rooted sins can be eliminated by simply taking care to avoid the sources of temptation. One of the most common sources of temptation today is the internet. By refusing to make excuses and by courageously unplugging the cable, or at the very least, using the internet only when others are present, many men could easily overcome sins of impurity, by which they find themselves easily dominated. They're saying right here that we just... To avoid near occasions of sin. So avoid place, either places or people or pastimes, things that we like doing. We've got to avoid it if it's leading us into sin. So, um, images and ideas and, uh, the way people talk, like, they use, like, sexual explicit words or whatever. Yeah, people u are using ex explicit words or, you know, things like that or telling us to do bad things, just the, a bad influence in general. We gotta stay away from them. If yeah. they're causing us to sin and <clears throat> encouraging us to sin, we gotta stay away from that. Or things that we like doing. If we like going on Instagram, for example. Yeah. And we're, we're on the internet, we love doing it, you know. Everybody loves scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. But if you're finding that yourself that you're, you know, you're falling to temptation because you see certain images on there, then you should probably not be on Instagram. You should probably you know, just be like... It's better for you anyways. That's why our Lord told the apostles, watch and pray so that you may not be tempted. So we got to watch and pray. So we may not okay. be tempted. <laughs> okay, next one. Next paragraph. Watchfulness also requires us to avoid idleness, which gives rise to a daydreaming. 
Daydreaming poses a great danger because it gives free reign to our minds to wander anywhere in the search of distraction. This means we must cultivate mental discipline, not permitting our minds to roam unchecked, but keeping them focused on what is healthy and useful to our spiritual well-being. So, we got to control where our, our imagination goes, okay? Because <laughs> the imagination of a person is very powerful. So, so powerful that it can go anywhere. So... It says right here to avoid idleness. Don't, don't just like, like, don't allow yourself to be not busy. You know, don't allow, you, you gotta keep yourself busy. Make yourself do things that don't keep you from sin because the devil loves it. You know, it's like easy for him. Cause when we're it, idle, like, when we're not doing anything, when we're bored, especially. For example, it's like a commander is <clears throat> just waiting. You're waiting for them to come out. They come out and he's unprepared. He just. Really bored. Okay, okay. okay. I mean, and he's not okay, controlling yeah. his troops to be ready for the sin. He's just allowing anybody to do anything they want, or you know, I guess something like that. So, avoid idleness. So get a hobby. Get you know, <clears throat> there are people that are even too busy for a hobby to be honest. Yeah. But there are some people that that, that have like a lot of spare have time. Have unlimited time. Okay. So. Get a hobby, man, because if your hobby is going on the phone, that's not a hobby. That just, <clears throat> that's just that's just something that gives you pleasure. That's in or video games. A hobby should be like drawing, making paper. Well, I think something. a hobby is probably something like creating something. Yeah. So Make, any like, anything it could be embroidery, it could be sewing, it could be a drawing, it could be. Your music, drawing. it I'd, could be I'd, instruments, it could be singing, it could be dancing, it could be so many things. Making the like, birdhouses or making tables, making just whatever. make anything, just something to take your mind off things. Yeah, just you know, and something that is not sinful, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so because the best method of achieving this mental focus is through prayer. Prayer, as we have said, is the other key to avoiding a temptation. Having learned to mistrust your own strength, we will then turn to God through prayer. The scriptures tell us to pray at all times. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. And the experience of the saints proved that a mind constantly occupied in prayer leaves no room for temptations to enter. St. Fonz's Liguri suggests the constant repetition of simple prayers such as Sacred Heart Jesus, have mercy on me. And the Christian tradition of the East teaches the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me a sinner. By these short prayers, which invoke the powerful name of Jesus, we invoke upon ourselves the assistance of heaven. <clears throat> so the devil does not like being in a mind, in a mind, that has God in it, like, 24-7. Yeah, because... So the best way to okay. keep temptation out is by constantly praying. So just, you know, throughout the day, you're, you know, I don't know, whatever job you do, you're, you know, cutting wood. Jesus have mercy on me, you know. Sacred Heart, Jesus, have mercy on us. You're, you know, you're just saying those things. When you have those things in your mind all the time, it keeps temptation out, keeps the, the demons out of your mind because they don't like God, you know? But this, if you just utter the name of Jesus, they they run away. <clears throat> this is a very good thing to, to practice. So, Because I've, I've heard whenever someone... I've heard that whenever someone says the name Jesus, hell itself shakes. It trembles. Okay, anyways, so, yes, have God on your mind. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's hard for us to remember, you, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. You know, just keep on saying those things. Sometimes we, we just forget, you know, but it's the best way to, you know, one of the best ways to keep sin out. Step number two, resisting temptation. Despite our best efforts at preventing them, it will in inevitably happen that we have to face temptations. There are some everyday temptations, such as to vanity, judgment of others, or impatience, that constantly annoy us and that we can best deal with by ignoring them. But other temptations are much, much more powerful <clears throat> and threaten, threaten to sweep us with them into serious sin. In the face of such strong temptations, our only response must be to resist. We must do so promptly and forcefully. So, without hesita hesitating to explore the temptation, or doing so with a half-hearted effort. We must remember that temptation is, to sin is not a friend. No matter how attractive, rather it is the enemy of our soul. 
and hence we must show it no mercy. <clears throat> it is very useful here to distinguish between two kinds of temptation. Some temptations attempt to seduce us through an appeal to our desire for pleasure. It would be a mistake to try to focus our attention directly on such temptations as that will only make the temptation stronger. Instead, we must immediately concentrate our thoughts on something that is interesting enough to hold our attention until the temptation passes. St. John of the Cross especially recommends prayer in such moments by lifting our minds and hearts to God. We rise up, as it were, beyond the reach of temptation, like a bird flying from the hunter. At other times, we experience temptations of anger, hatred, and fear. To these temptations, we should respond by confronting them directly in the light of our Christian faith. It's talking about how some sins are, some temptations are different. Yeah. With anger or hatred or, you know, things like that. It's easy. We, we just, we confront them directly. Yeah. But with sins such as, you know, impurity, uh, impurity we just got to run. We got to run because it, <clears throat> it takes us by the throat, like the force. And Darth Vader right there for you. So yeah, th those are sins that are not to be taken, temptations not to be taken lightly, okay? And next paragraph. Of course, it's not enough to resist temptation only occasionally. We are in war with sin, and it is not enough to win a battle or two. The war is only won by defeating the enemy consistently, and so we must resist temptation perseveringly. Beginners in this battle, in whom the habit of resistance is not yet established, will inevitably grow tired of the effort. They should take heart from the words of St. Paul. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings us so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Of great assistance in the struggle is the complete and honest confession of our temptations to our confessor, our spiritual director. The devil works in darkness, and we ex when we expose his efforts to the light of grace, he is forced to flee. It's saying that we have to try to be consistent in defeating... Uh, resistant temptation and sin consistently consistently you know because yeah. if we allow him to win some battles or you know the devil to w allow sin to win some battles we become weakened because when you uh when you fall into sin right but then you go to confession you know always go to try to go to confession as soon as possible if you commit more sin what happens is that even though the conf <coughs> the sin no longer exists the effects of the sin still remain. Not For example, only, like you have the more in, you have the more inclination to sin. Well, yeah, because it's like you know the saying like the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm. It's easier each time. The first time is like it's almost impossible that you're ever gonna do it, and then you do it. Yeah. And then after that, it's easier, and then easier, easier. and then and easier, 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 until it's like nothing, nothing to you. Because your will, the your will is getting <laughs> your will is technically your army. Your, your will was weakened. And each time you let it, it weakens you more and more and more. And then you're never going to win the war. You got to keep it strong. Keep it firm with the grace of Christ. Okay. Next step. After temptation. If we have succeeded in resisting temptation, we should immediately give thanks to God. By whose grace we were victorious. So remember to be humble when you are victorious against sin. Because it was by the grace of God that you that you're victorious. If, however, we have failed by giving into temptation, we must be careful not to fall into discouragement. One of the devil's goals is to convince us that if that it is impossible to live the life of Christian virtue. Against this deception, we have the words of our Lord to remind us that no matter how often we fall, our heartfelt repentance and the firm intention to resist sin in the future are sufficient to win for us the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. Recall... The parable of the prodigal son who returning to home returning home after offending his father grievously is greeted by his father with open arms and a kiss. Luke chapter fifteen verses one. So it's saying right here, if you were victorious, that's great. You kept strong and faithful to Christ. You have to give thanks to God right away. Um, because it was through his grace that you won. And it's saying right here that if we failed, don't give in to to the it's another lie that the and another sin that the devil wants to bring you into that it's impossible to live to live virtuously and to live without you know it's impossible to not sin don't give in to that that you don't despair god is always going to help us he gives us the grace 
It's always possible. Just remember that God is always going to forgive you. Yeah. And <clears throat> get up. If you fall, get back up. Carry that cross. Ask God, you know, God is going to help you. Carry that cross and he'll always bring you back with him. <clears throat> so just don't give in to that. Because here, here's what, what you're, he's going to make you think. He's going to make you he's going to, when you, let's say you've fallen, like, at least 50 times or something in mortal sin, right? You're thinking, why am I even trying? Why am I even doing, going to confession if I'm just going to fall all over again, you know? It's not a good way to think. It's not, because Dude. all it does is make you even weaker yeah, than you already are. Remember, like I said, our first vocation, our primary vocation is to get to heaven. God is going to give, he, oh, he gives everyone that grace. So it's possible for you to resist temptation. God is always there. He's going to, he always makes it possible for you, possible for you to resist temptation. <clears throat> when it's with addiction or something like that, it takes time. It takes time to get better, to, to resist temptation. So don't give up. God is going to help you. You're, you can do this. Okay. Never, never think that you can't do it. That's that's another temptation from the devil. And don't fall into it. Okay, it says right here. In fact, we can turn our falls into moments of grace. If we learn from the lessons of humility and caution. After a fall, we must humble ourselves before God, recognize our weaknesses while re renewing our trust in Him. Resolve to be more vigilant over our thoughts and do and in avoiding temptation. And return to this practice of penance. In so doing, our falls will not weaken our spiritual life but rather will become occasions for its growth and maturity. So it's like when you, <clears throat> let's say you're out in a job, you do something wrong. You learn from that mistake. You're not. You're going to try your best not to do that mistake a second time. So instead of falling to despair, if you fell, you fall into sin, let it, let it be a, a lesson for you. Again, humble yourselves. Always be humble. When you win, when you're victorious, humble. When you lose, humble. Humility, that's the, that's the key here. That's the key. So, <clears throat> so we ask God for forgiveness. We admit that we did something wrong. We acknowledge it. And we do our best to avoid sin in the future. Okay, the next paragraph, last paragraph. The value of temptation. The struggle against sin and temptation requires the, the Christian to exercise his will, causing him to grow in spiritual strength much as the exercise of physical muscles causes them to be stronger. Temptation is therefore a necessary part of the spiritual life. We must bear this in mind. When the spiritual struggle becomes a heavy burden, bearing us with the present difficulty, knowing that it's for our good. Okay, we must bear in mind, this in mind. When the spiritual struggle becomes a heavy burden, bearing this with present difficulty, knowing that it is for our good. St. James tells us, Blessed is the man who endures trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so as you may notice, the, t the title was Value of Temptation. Obviously, temptation is not a good thing, and it wasn't part of God's plan, but there is a good thing coming out of it. It helps us exercise our faith. Let's just be stronger. Now, yeah. Like Father Ripperger says, without the demons, we're, us humans would be mediocre. Because there's no resistance against temptation. It's sort of like the the villain without the hero. Or the hero without the villain. There's nothing to do. Like, there's... There's no reason you for be, you to even try. You can't have any virtue if there's no sin to... Use virtue against. To use the virtue against. There's You know, you can't grow in anything. So that's why we would be mediocre without without uh, the demons. Because... um, Like, like God's... God did not make sin, right? But he made the possibility for sin to happen. Because without the possibility for sin, there would be no free will. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, yeah. That's why the possibility for sin, supposedly, is actually just a free will. But with free will, we can do good or bad. And that's how we exercise our spiritual muscles. Questions for review? Um, uh, let's go through it. Just five questions. Um, what makes a thought sinful? What makes a thought sinful is if you start entertaining. No, no, no. But what makes it sinful in the first place? What makes it sinful is if it's something impure. No. If, if, 
But what makes it... Okay, I'll answer. What makes it that sinful is that we could say yes or no. Oh, yeah, that's what you're saying. Just like with a sin of thought... I mean, sorry, a sin of action. The thing that makes it sinful in the first place is that we could say yes or no. And that's how we exercise the virtues. By saying no to sin, we practice virtue. By saying yes to sin, we... Um, don't you know we become more weakened because you say you say no with the possibility of saying yes you had the you could have said yes or no but you chose no and that's that's the good thing you that helps you no to sin no okay so two what does imperfect consent mean perfect consent is when you literally just jump into sin you do it with all with just whatever imperfect. you give in. No, no, imperfect consent. Imperfect, not Im- full consent. Okay, imperfect consent is when <clears throat> you do it, but like with struggle. When you struggle with it, when, when you're you like, hesitate, to, when you hesitate, when you hesitate to reject it. Since you hesitated, but then because you you knew it was bad, but then you're like, ah, it feels good, but you're like, no, then it's a venial sin. It's almost so like that's what putting imperfect. your hand in the water, just like a little bit, like barely, and then no. I shouldn't jump in the water. Okay, so that's what imperfect consent is. So, is hesitating to say no to sin. What are the stages of temptation? <clears throat> the stages of temptation are number one, suggestion. The, the suggestion, like the um, the near occurrences of sin. Number two, pleasure. The so, suggestion is when it comes to your mind, the thought, and. You you're trying to differentiate. You're trying to discern if it's good or bad. Two, is pleasure. Like the, so, <clears throat> like the yeah, the little pleasure that comes out of the sin itself. I mean, uh, the thought in, in the thought, you can have pleasure without consenting to it. So at that point, it's not a sin yet. But even though you you had pleasure, you did not consent to it yet. You know, but obviously you would be able to know when you consent to it or not. After that, it comes to the point of rejection or consent. So, <clears throat> so there's three stages, like a suggestion, pleasure, and uh, consent or rejection. So, so we either reject it or consent to it. That's the third stage. Number four. What are the steps of overcoming sin? Steps of overcoming sin are number one to try to avoid sin to avoid temptation, temptation. To, to avoid temptation. So don't even. So that you're not even, you know, confronted with temptation. So you're trying to avoid temptation, you know, in the first place. It's like... So that you don't even get tempted. And then the second one is uh, resisting a temptation. So no no matter what you do, you're still going to be confronted with temptation at one point in your life. No matter what. So what are you going to do? Well... Are you going to... That's where resistance comes. We must join the resistance. The rebellion. So, against temptation. So at that point, we resist temptation, and then the third stage of of um, overcoming sin is after temptation. What do we do after? Whether we consented, to te- whether we fall, fell into temptation, or we rejected temptation. So if we rejected temptation, that's great. We, you know, we had victory. We uh, we thank God because it was through His grace that we did not commit sin. If we did not, if we did commit sin, we said we consented, we didn't reject tempta- the temptation, then we fell. We must humble ourselves, ask God for forgiveness like this, right away, as soon as possible. You humble yourself, you acknowledge you did it. Don't make excuses, people. Because if you know you did something wrong, then just say you're sorry and don't make excuses, okay? Yeah. And then make it, in fact, instead of uh, instead of making it such a bad thing, m- learn from it. Get up, shake, shake the dust off of, of sin off, carry your cross with the grace of Christ, and keep on walking. Uh, thank you for coming, Joshua. Um, thank you for having me. It was a great podcast having you here. Please like, share, and subscribe. I'm sorry the camera turned off at the end, but I have to get a second battery. Sorry. Um, Hope you like this video, and we'll see you next week in the uh, next Saturday. God bless.
If you like this episode and want to see our beautiful, handsome faces, then go to our YouTube channel, Koji Fruit, where you can see us in HD perfection. See you next time.